0: All right. Welcome back to this week's episode of 22 Motivational Minutes with Marlo. And this is our brand performance podcast. And our special guest today is Steve Chaparro. And this is going to be a really rich conversation today for our entrepreneurial listeners You know, Steve is the founder and the CEO of the Culture Design Studio. He's a virtual keynote speaker. And I'm going to ask about that one because have you always been virtual? And you're also a company culture expert, you're a transformational leader, and you're also a podcast host. And so, Steve, I just want to welcome you to today's podcast.
1: Thank you, Marlo. I've been looking forward to this. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So when you think about, you know, you host a podcast yourself, you know, what is it about podcasting? I'm just going to kind of go there for a minute that you enjoy so much, whether either being a guest or the host.
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just love having conversations with people. And I think when it's not necessary, I mean, there are all different types of formats. There's the scripted, there's the solo, there's the interview. I love having these interviews because for me, it helps me learn a lot from either one from the guests that I have in my show or... Just by the rich discussion that I have on other podcasts, I think audio is such an intimate setting, especially with the, you know, the advent of Clubhouse as a drop-in audio platform has been really interesting. And having, you know, your voice in people's heads, I've had so many times where I've met people after I've listened to them on their podcast for so many episodes, and I feel like I know them. Mm -hmm. even though I've never met them until that moment. So it's such an interesting and intimate medium.
0: Oh, I totally agree with you on that one. And, you know, I love um, hosting the podcast. And like you said, there are people right now that are driving their car, they're in their kitchen, they're sitting in their office, and they're listening to Steve and I kind of throw down on what we know is going to be of value to them. And I think that's priceless.
1: It is. It, it, it is really interesting how that is working. And, and I do like that on-the-go aspect of it, too, that people can put the phone in their pocket, with earbuds in their ears, and just take a walk, take a run, take a drive, and uh, it's still having a great conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we both serve that entrepreneurial spirit, right? And you, I think this conversation is so powerful today, Steve, because as we've gotten to know each other, you know, you are a very motivated person. You're very motivated to succeed. You're a hard driver. I mean, I would call that, you know, you're that top 2%, those mavericks that we love to work (laughs) with, right? But, you know, you've had this tension as an entrepreneur. And you have this tension as a visionary. And, you know, that really is a powerful message, Steve. And I would love to have you share your conversation and your experience around that tension as a visionary.
1: Yeah, I think that the tension comes from not knowing how to handle what some may call a gift, when at times it becomes almost a curse whether you call it the curse of knowledge or the curse of of seeing things that no one else sees and when they push back because they're not at the same place that you are uh, because visionaries are able to see possibilities, and make connections that, uh, frankly, others don't see. And like you said, I do think it's that two, two and a half percent of the world's population. I mean, if you look at the innovation adoption curve, that innovator, uh, that first group of people that is able to grasp an idea are those innovators that make up two and a half percent of, of the world. And so if you are a pioneer, in any sort of idea or thought that means you are alone for the most part unless you can find a community of people that think like you that can embrace ideas like you ideas that are not fully fleshed out because uh, let's be honest uh, visionaries when we first have our ideas and when we express them they're not fully baked in fact we we don't need them to be fully baked but others do Mm. And I think that's where the frustration often comes in is when we are not able to fully articulate an idea that is brewing in our minds. It's a little fuzzy and for us, that's okay, but for others, they push back or don't get it as as much as we do. And I think that's where the frustration comes in and it reveals, frankly, the shadow side of our superpower.
0: Mm. Talk about that a little bit more.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, like it's... I've realized that there are some things that I'm really good at. I'm really good at seeing ideas. I'm really good at, say, communicating from the stage. I'm really good at connecting the dots. But when there are those around me that are not necessarily as good, and and, and I don't say that arrogantly because I truly believe that sometimes these abilities – do weigh on on on, on a person, uh, on a visionary person, because I think there, there can be frustration that comes in when people push back and, and when people do push back or don't embrace ideas that you have. I mean, there was a time, let me put it this way. There was a time that I was really seeing the future of the organization that I was a part of. And I said, we need to go in this one X direction now. And I gave all the reasons why. And I remember that I was met with such blank stares, Uh, you know, those stares that say, dude, you are crazy. You are out of your mind. And so they didn't act on it. Seven years go by. And I was approached by one of those same people that said, Steve, you remember when you said X seven years ago, I thought you were crazy, but you were right. And, you know, that's kind of a cold comfort yeah. When people tell you years later that you were right, yep. but they thought you were crazy. Yep. So I think for me it's the shadow side is what are how do you respond um when people resist and and I again, I'm just going to be completely vulnerable here. I've been told on one hand that I can fire people up, but on the other hand I can burn people out. I've been told that I'm very passionate but I've also been told that I can be very condescending.
0: <laughs> Love it, you know. But uh, but that awareness serves you. That awareness serves. Why is it serving you so well though, Steve? And you, that you can see the the yin yang of what you're speaking.
1: Yeah, I you know I, I led a, a several a five day discussion on this topic of frustrated visionary uh, on Clubhouse, and one of those days was the idea of self awareness and the theme that came up throughout that conversation was that self-awareness is a superpower. If if you have if you have the self-awareness that you have these blind spots, whether it's about how you communicate, whether it's how ideas are surfaced and acted upon or how you foster culture in your organization. If you understand that there are blind spots in your leadership, then you can one be more empathetic, and be you know to and be uh, adapt your behavior to that. But also, and I think sometimes what is most important is to surround yourself with people that are gifted in areas that you are not, or that are bright lights in your areas of shadow. So I think that's really important. You know, there's another book that I was actually given. It was t- is called Rocket Fuel, and it talks about the partnership between a visionary and an integrator in terms of leading an entrepreneurial effort. The idea that the visionary will see what needs to be done, but the integrator will get it done. And I think there's very few people that are both visionaries and integrators in one person. So being able to surround yourself with people that complement how you think. Not necessarily completely like you. In fact, it's probably good that they don't think like you so that you can uh, have a a, a holistic perspective.
0: I 100% agree. I mean, and you're playing to your strengths, right? And We know once we release the tension and don't apologize for what we lack, but we can show up and say, hey, this is my genius zone. I think things get easier for everybody right? I think there's an understanding there, not only with your self-acceptance in that space, but also how you serve others and releasing and you know, raising your hand saying, you know what, that that's not my skill set.
1: Yeah. And I think even that topic of of your genius is a really interesting because that also brings attention because I think, I think visionary leaders, founders of organizations, CEOs, uh, they're often applauded for their genius or their their ability to see out to the future their ability to lead their ability to get things done but i think i think it would serve a visionary well if yes they recognize that strength and that superpower but also that they step back and even more so appreciate the collective genius That exists already within the company, because I think too many times the founder, CEO, visionary person believes that they are the sole or the greatest genius in that company. And actually, if they're able to harness that collective genius that already exists within their their ranks, more things will get done.
0: Yeah. No, it's brilliant. Okay. So now here's another thing too. You have, you know, an understanding that there's like three clear levels of when we're working as entrepreneurs, right? That early career, we have the fear of good enough, right? Can you take us to an understanding of what you're working on right now? Yeah.
1: One of the things that I've really tried to dive in, and I think part of this has been my own journey of self-discovery and it's really. Try to dig into what are the things that have driven me. Sometimes there are very positive things that drive us. In other cases, there are some negative things that drive us, more specifically, fear. And I think there are different types of fears that I have seen in my own career, as well as those uh, that I've, I've worked with. And so, and I almost think of it as a fear that aligns with a certain season in our career, like, as you mentioned, early in our career, where there's these emerging leaders, uh, um, you know, say 25 to, to 40. I think that there is this fear of insignificance. And there was about a 15 year stretch for me, especially with the millennial generation, this is something that is very powerful to consider that if I am not making an impact on the world, if I'm not, you know, I know this overused terms of if I'm not changing the world, if not, if I'm not making a huge difference, then I feel that I'm not having significance in the world. So there is this almost like this radar that is constantly looking for opportunities to have significance. And if I'm not making an impact, especially for those that are early yeah. career, those folks that are are looking for their dream job. That was one thing I, I you know, probably was looking for for the first 10 years of my career was what is that dream job where not only will I make an impact in the world, but I will feel fulfilled. I had to learn after about three or four job shifts that there is no such thing as a dream job that I really need to find deeper meaning. So that fear of, of insignificance is one thing. I would say mid-career, the, especially for myself as a mid-Gen Xer, I have found that there is this fear of invisibility, fear that I'm getting lost in the crowd, fear that I might get passed up by the younger generation, fear that I have to puff out my chest and say, hey, you know, I've been around for 20 years, I know what I'm doing and things like that. So the fear of invisibility is a really interesting one. When I think of late career folks, i think of the fear of irrelevance with all that is happening now especially with covid but also even prior to covid the landscape of business business culture business leadership is really changing and i think those that are in late career have probably grown up with this idea of this command and control top down hierarchical type of leadership and even even the idea of best practices that are all based on what can i do today based on lessons that i learned yesterday mm. well uh, i think the world is just changing way too fast that we have to uh, that we can't rely on best practices and so the leadership really needs to ask themselves how do i need to change so that i can still be relevant not change who i am but change how i work change how i lead change uh, how our organizations are structured. So I think it's really interesting to, to dig deep into each one of those.
0: Excellent. Yeah. So irrelevancy in the industry. So do you think people are giving up on themselves at that point in that late that late portion of the career?
1: I think you can probably almost go through the five uh, stages of grief. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I haven't thought that through, but right. I think I think that there's a variety of reactions that people can have. I think in some cases they're going to dig their heels into what they're doing and say, "No, this is the way I've always done it. This is what has brought me success in the past. This is the way it's going to be." And so they're bucking the trend, bucking, you know, these emerging expectations of the younger generations. Uh, I think when you think of even the innovation curve, or um, you know, uh, I think of the, that the S curve when you're at the top. Of that bell curve, sort of at the mountain peak, you've learned a lot from your success. You've had a lot of success, whether it's been three or four decades. And so you could easily puff out your chest and say, well, you know, I've gotten here because of what I've done in the past. But many companies and leaders are actually on the decline they're failing to respond to some of that, re- that changing landscape and environment, and they're actually, in some cases, on the decline. So they have to almost, as Whitney Johnson talks about, you need to disrupt yourself, mm-hmm. disrupt your leadership, disrupt the way you 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 lead with people. So either one, I, I, I say it this way, leaders need to decide whether they're going to shape up or they're going to ship out.
0: Mm, brilliant. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that one. Okay, so I want to circle back around a little bit to around, you know, that tension as a visionary. You know, um, I want to use the word expectation, right? Where do you see, you know, how much does expectation play into the tension when we are an innovator or a visionary?
1: When you say expectation, like external expectations or internal? Yeah, just
0: like both.
1: How well, do, how, I, how
0: like how do you see that relating as such a monumental piece of the of the pie?
1: Yeah, I, I think um because you know we have experienced new levels of say customer experience with technology, with apps, with companies and brands, there is an experience expectation that that comes from like let's like, say for instance, if I had a wonderful experience with a brand that's going to be the standard of experience that I will expect in different areas of my life. I will expect that with you know any other brand that I interface with. Oddly enough, I might even, um, because of news that I hear about the employees at that particular company or brand, I might adopt that own expectation for how I, I, I want to work at a company. Um, so it's very interesting that your experience with a brand could very much influence your expectation of the employee experience at your, at your company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think expectations of customers, expectations of employees, expectations of just the wider market are starting to change. And some folks may say, you know what? We've never been about that, delivering on that type of expectation. We're not going to do it. And, uh, you know, moving forward, then I think they're missing out on a great opportunity to innovate. But if they do rise to those expectations, I think that's where true innovators shine through. And that's where uh, much more success will happen for those companies if they do respond to those.
0: Right. Right. You know, expectation is such a big piece for um, entrepreneurs, right? And the, the way that I see it too, Steve, is, you know, expectation comes, we put a lot of, um, just a lot on our shoulders. And oftentimes we're chasing so furious that we're never fully satisfied. And yeah. we just become, yeah. you know, addicted yeah. to that journey. Talk to me about your experience yeah. in that space.
1: I, I love that you mentioned that because I, I think we can look at it in different contexts. But I think for a visionary, that is something like the. I enjoy the journey far, far more than I enjoy the destination. Mm, um, talk you know, to us about like I, that. <laughs> I, I feel deep. like I'm, I'm a bit addicted uh, to the climb,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: not so much the hustle, but to the climb, and I think that probably goes back to that the greatest thing that i desire for others is also the greatest thing that i desire for myself and that is transformation so mm-hmm. transformation does not happen at the mountain peak transformation happens on the climb or even as you're kind of pulling yourself out of a valley or out of a trough and so for me the pursuit the climb is is what really what really drives me to the point that when i do land at a destination or at a mountain peak. Um, I don't spend a lot of time there. Like I'll, you know, almost metaphorically, we'll land at the top, survey the landscape in the valley below for, uh, you know, maybe 10 minutes and then go back down. It was really interesting that I heard that uh, uh, this mountaineer who was climbing Mount Everest, he said that you actually can't be at the mountain Top more than 10 minutes because of just the exposure to the elements that you actually have to only be there less than 10 minutes before you have to go down. So I, I have a hard time celebrating, honestly. Uh, and I, I'm just, you know, it goes back to even when I was younger, my sisters would tell me when we were partnering on an organizational effort, um, they would say, Steve, celebrate the wins. You know, you have don't, to.
0: You have don't, to.
1: Don't just say after one event or one stage or one milestone, oh, we could have done better. We got to do better the next time. Yeah. Because that doesn't do well for the people that are working alongside you.
0: No, and that once and done attitude, if you don't revel and and celebrate, you know, um, there's you know, you just condition yourself to just become immune to it. And like you said, I don't think that's healthy for anybody. Um, and over time, I think it's those celebrations, it's those accolades, those accomplishments. Those not only feel the confidence that we need to achieve, but they are also the benchmarks to help us get out of stuck in those times that, you know, we got to show ourselves we've done this before. We can do it again. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think um, I think uh, some of those things that uh, I think when you're fueled by what you've done in the past, you you're gaining confidence as you move forward. Ah, uh, you're learning from experiences i I like to say that you I, I learn more from people's battle scars than I do their trophies. the idea that the struggle um but uh, you know going through some really hard times but also being able to celebrate the wins even even a scar like I actually remember uh, I, I have really dark skin and so when I scar, the scars are pretty pronounced you know, like almost like a like a, they, they pop up above the skin surface. Mm-hmm. And I remember that I was told that there were some African tribes that would actually cut their skin, but they they actually create these pictures in their skin with scars. Uh, I know that's a little bit morbid, but the idea that we can learn from some of those things, it makes us better. And, and, and in, in a sense, we can celebrate those hard times that we've actually pulled through.
0: Absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. Okay, so as we, you know, this is such a rich conversation, Steve, and I know our listeners are enjoying every minute of this. But before we leave, I want you to give, I'm going to shift gears a little, give me your insight on Clubhouse, because it's fairly new. Um, I love Clubhouse. But for somebody who's not really experienced it or, or understands it, can you give us your two cent tour of Clubhouse, Steve, and how you're positioning it for somebody?
1: Yeah, so Clubhouse is what they call this drop-in audio platform. Essentially, you create uh, an account, and then you go into this hallway that has all these different types of of rooms, which are basically conversations that are happening uh, happening under a certain topic. You can enter into that room. That room is being led by moderators and speakers that are up on stage, and then the rest of the folks are... Uh, in the room, but they're not designated as speakers. So when you actually navigate through the app in the room, you see everybody's face or avatar um, there. And so they're having these great conversations and sometimes the moderators will open the room for people to raise their hand and actually be brought up to the stage to either contribute to the conversation or ask a question of the moderators. Again, this whole idea of audio, being able to have access um, to real-time conversations, none of these conversations are recorded for the most part. And so when the conversation is over, it's over. it's it, it disappears. And so there are a lot of great business leaders. There's even celebrities that are having conversations on here. So the ability to drop in on these conversations and and even in some cases interact with them is a really interesting uh uh, platform. I think uh, there's been about 13 or 14 million people that have uh, jumped on the platform. It's iPhone only at the at the moment, um, and so it's been a really interesting thing to convene conversations. Um, and people can follow you, um, and it's it's just been really interesting. I'm still waiting to to learn more about how I can adopt it. Okay. But what I've been doing is essentially convening conversations. But I'm almost even thinking about what it may look to, um, to focus on Clubhouse um, even outside of or even instead of possibly of the podcast. I don't mm-hmm. know. That's yeah. a big, that's a big decision to make.
0: Well, maybe Steve, you and I can, you know, put together a room and bring these listeners into it and yes. we can extend that conversation. Yes. So, I you know, I, I, absolutely. So I'm there for you and uh, look forward to following you on Clubhouse. And okay. So where can we find you? We're wrapping up. Where can we find you?
1: So LinkedIn is the best place to to look me up. So Steve Chaparro and Chaparro is one P within two R's. LinkedIn is a great place. Um, we, t- we talked about Clubhouse, but my website is stevechaparro.co.
0: Love it. All right, Steve, this has just been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. So we invite you to share this podcast with others and thank you in advance for your partnership. If you enjoyed this episode and it left you feeling inspired, share your biggest takeaway on our Perform and Get Paid community Facebook page. That is where we will engage and respond to your questions. This is Marlo Higgins, your host and chief inspirational officer. Have an awesome rest of your day.